and uh, we'll kind of unpack that a little bit as we head into uh, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Uh, myself and Paul and a few others were once a lot cooler, not a lot cooler, but we were younger, and uh, we were part of a band uh, that were uh, playing gigs around. We once played a gig in Exeter, and uh, we you know, go down and play a, a set, and um, one of us, not me at that point, I hadn't found the ability to talk in front of people, but uh, Paul or uh, Matt, our drummer, would uh, do a little talk, and then... Um, Young people would kind of respond or get saved, or it was a great time, really kind of thing. We did a, a, a gig down in Exeter, and uh, it was a particularly good night, and it went really well. And I kind of, you know, we were kind of afterwards, the aftermath of gigs, kind of, you know, feeling pretty heroic. But it was always in the kind of like um, introvert way I am. Uh, back then, the aftermath of a gig was never something I was comfortable with. And uh, it was kind of like this weird situation where you know you're just you. And you're aware that you aren't particularly special, but you got like a queue of people back in the day. Obviously, most people in here are kind of like over 25 will remember the idea of autographs. Uh, and so we had these like, after these gigs, they just assume we were big and kind of like, you know, I better get their autograph. And I'm thinking, well, that's a ridiculous idea. But there we were kind of like sitting on the kind of, you know, a stage or whatever and uh, signing autographs. And it was never something I got used to ever. We were doing the band stuff for a few years and it, you know, it was never something I was like, oh, I am completely at home with this idea of uh, attention. It all always a, a little bit surreal because obviously people kind of like see you in a band and they queue up assuming you're charismatic and kind of, you know, out there and then they meet me. Uh, and, and it doesn't necessarily work out that way. And, we had, you know, it's, it's actually a discussion we had amongst the four of us, myself, Paul, Matt, and, and, um, and John. We had a conversation about how you sign your autograph. Like, how do you do that? It's not something you kind of, like, come across. And so, you know, we, we, they'd all develop their own style. And, you know, you're kind of like, you're part of this, you know, band that's coming out and talking about faith and, you know, the idea of what life's about and all that kind of stuff. And so a few of them had developed, like, maybe a little message or something that they put on their autograph that kind of would just you know, lead these young people into a more fulfilled life. And so, you know, that was the autograph for them. And I'm completely overwhelmed with the idea of being this creative. And thinking back, I, um, I remember this, and I had to ask Paul, because uh, I didn't remember this. Well, Paul in particular had a little idea with his. So he would sign Paul with a very snazzy P, and then kind of like this, like, you know, weird writing. And then underneath, he'd do like a little kiss. And I was like, okay, yeah, but, you know, that's, that's fine. But, you know, do you ever get questioned, like, you know, if lads are coming up asking an autograph, and they're kind of like, you know, what's the kiss about? You'd be like, oh, yeah, it's Christian fish, lads. It's Christian fish. So he kind of did it in a way that it kind of curled around and, like, sent you a message. Go against the flow, lads. Go against the flow. And that was kind of, that was his thing. That's clever. Like, that's what he's doing with his autograph. And then John, our guitarist, he, he went another level. He kind of, like, you know, mixed up a bit of a message. He'd sign it. Big John, because he was, like, six foot four. Big John, keeping it real. And, that, and that's why, and sometimes he change it to keep it real, as in advice. Keep it real, kids. Or sometimes Big John is keeping it real. And so there was that kind of multi-level that he had to his autograph. Matt, our drummer, who was, you know, a bit, he, he could draw and stuff, so he had a little thing going on. So he would sign it, Matt D, and the D would be like, it would convert into this kind of like this bass drum doodle. And so it was really clever. So like Matt D and the D was the bass drum. And so it would come to me. And I'm like, I can't do anything. I can't draw. I got a boring name. Like, that's something I thought. Like, yeah, what am I going to do? And so my autograph, honestly, I remember looking back at it and feeling so intimidated by these creative geniuses that were doing something great with their autograph. And mine was literally just Adam. <laughs> that was it. That's all. It's like, oh, yeah, keep, keep it real. Keep it real, Big John. Thanks. Matt D with a little doodle there. Paul with a kiss or a fish. And 
Adam. That was it. That's all that they got from me. Anyway, it was doing this down in Exeter that I remember this once in a lifetime experience. It only happened to me once in my entire life, which is probably a good thing. Um, there was a bunch of uh, young people queuing up, uh, and this uh, group of girls who had been queuing up um, uh, got to the front of the queue. And this one particular girl came up to me, walked up to me, handed me a bit of paper, and then without anything, not saying anything, not doing anything, just slapped me across the face. <laughs> it was so weird. Like, I, can't, I can't go across how weird. I didn't know this girl. Ne- you know, like, you never met before. No kind of history, no story. She just literally came up and full-on slapped me across the face. And it's one of the things where you're like, you know, you're part of a Christian band, so you can't really do anything other than go, <laughs> and just kind of like, you know, I don't know what was that about. And anyway, it turned, she just started laughing, you know, totally straight away, started laughing and apologizing. This is the weirdest moment ever. Just started laughing and apologizing just seconds after slapping me. I was completely stunned. Turns out, and I don't know if this has ever happened to anyone before, it was a bet between her friends. Why me? There's four of us, but like... <laughs> Like, you know, go up to the bass player and just slap him. Like, just without saying anything. And I bet you won't do it. I bet I will. And that all happened before. And she just slapped me across the face and that was it. I didn't, no conversation, just apologised, said, oh, sorry, it was a dare. Like, that, that doesn't make any sense at all. And that, that's my only slap story in my entire life. Thankfully, I've only ever been slapped once. So from my only slap story to the only Bible slap story that we come across that I know of, nicely linked, thank you. Thank you, tenuous link, but we'll go there. Verse 38, Jesus tells a story that brings this up. Uh, and and we're, we're going to have a look at this this morning and, and kind of have this idea of maybe you think you know what this is about. Maybe you've kind of been brought up with the idea of what this is about, this eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, and what Jesus says when you come across this kind of confrontation or this kind of challenge. And as I've found in the last couple of weeks, it isn't necessarily exactly as maybe I've always thought it to be. Jesus said, you have heard it said, which we've covered last couple of weeks. You have heard it said. You have heard what the Pharisees have turned it into. You've heard what the religious leaders have made it. You have heard it said. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them and the other cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. First of all, this eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth thing, this was basically their system of justice. They're kind of like, this is how it works within relationship or within conflict. So straight away, and in Venice, it's not dissimilar to us. So straight away, the audience listening to Jesus would have been like, right, yeah, I get it, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. We might not call it that, call it that, but what we would understand is, like Jesus is essentially saying, you have heard it said that it needs to be even, it needs to be fair. If this gets done to you, then this needs to get done back to that person, or there needs to be a sense of making it right, or making it level, or whatever it might be. And that idea, that kind of eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, that come about like limiting damage of what someone could expect to, you know, to be proportional, or equal, or fair. If I've done this, this is what I can expect back. And the whole idea of that really was just to stop this kind of ridiculous like revenge situation going on where you know someone might do something to me and I do something worse back to them so they do something worse back to me and it just got out of hand. And so the religious leaders have come up, come up with this idea, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And Jesus is kind of wanting to get into this, into a new idea and he wants to draw attention to a, a particular nuance of how this has been understood, in particular these three examples. And a way that he wants to bring about, a better way, that gives a freedom to love and to serve others. And that might not be 
automatically what you go to think about when you hear this passage. But that is what Jesus is talking about. If you've ever wondered, just quickly, if you've ever wondered, why it is that people say, oh, Jesus, such a revolutionary. Jesus was so out there with his thinking. He was so, like, just completely turned everything upside down. This is a great example of where we, you know, where we head this morning with this kind of passage, this whole idea. If you've never found Jesus be particularly against the grain or controversial, then tune in uh, to this this morning. Because he introduces three situations to illustrate this possibility, this idea for you and for me to have a way to live freely away from how we should react. If someone has done something to me, this is how I should react. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. If you've hurt me, I'm going to in some way make sure that you pay for that or that you have penance for that or that, that you know, worse still, I'm going to hurt you back. And Jesus is saying there is a way, a better way for you to live free of that system. People acting out of freedom rather than reacting to what has been done to them. That's what happens in these three examples. First of all, and this is important, when Jesus says anyone, in that passage where it says, if anyone does these three things, anyone, his listeners knew who he was talking about. And you'll notice from the three examples, and this is key, from the three examples, Jesus is straight away drawing attention. He's not saying anyone. He's been a bit clever because all three of the examples point towards a certain group of people. It's apparent from the examples that each of these actions, uh, the slap, uh, the making the go of the extra mile, and the, the suing, is talking about how the privileged deal with the unprivileged. How the, how the people that are rich and powerful and of status deal with those that don't have those things. So when he says, if anyone, don't be fooled into thinking that you know, he's talking to uh, the people that don't have anything. He's talking to the, about the people that have. Each of these actions were the actions of the privileged, the rich, and the powerful. And that is what he's talking about. First of all, we'll go through these quickly just so we have some kind of uh, context with these. Slapping the right cheek. So slap, when he says, if anyone you know, um, slaps the right cheek or slaps the cheek, turn the other cheek. What Jesus is talking about there is something they would have been very familiar with. Now, we don't necessarily have this you know, uh, kind of on a daily basis, if at all, in, in our lives or come across it or anything. But slapping the right cheek was the work of a slave owner. Slapping the right cheek was the work of a master or a person of authority. And it was, a, it was a statement. It was a, this is, you know, just so we're clear, just so you know, just so you remember, slave, I am in charge. And the whole idea would be at the back of the hand across the right cheek. So Jesus suggesting that, it, that to turn the other cheek was a, an out there suggestion. Because it turned that whole social interaction on its head. This wasn't about random violence. This was about rank and power. So when Jesus says, if anyone slaps you know, the right cheek, turn the left cheek, straight away everybody's like, right, okay, he's talking about someone of states. He's talking about someone who's superior. Someone of superior standing, putting down someone who they view as inferior. So that's the context of what we're talking about. So by offering your left cheek or any variation of what has happened there, would be to demonstrate the authority figure was not in control. They would be shamed instantly. If I've been slapped on the right cheek and I turn my left cheek, it causes a problem for the whole social interaction that was well set. It was all about how it looked. It was all about the status. It was all about that, you know, this is the right way to go about things. A master, an authority figure or whatever couldn't be viewed to be seen to be out of control. 
They couldn't be shamed in that way. So the left cheek being turned towards the master is effectively saying, if you're going to put me down that way, if you're going to you know, kind of create this hierarchy that you are better than me, then you're going to have to you know, do it in a way that would shame you, that would show that you have lost control of the situation. By this simple suggested action, Jesus is bringing about an idea that removes the whole idea of status and power and privilege. Now, I don't know if you, as a kid reading this, and you know, even kind of like you know, in, in, in you know, twenties and thirties reading this, I kind of assumed what Jesus is saying there is: if you get smacked, let yourself get smacked again. That's the whole idea, just kind of meek and mild Jesus, just like let people walk all over you. Just, you know, if they hit you, you know, just let them hit you again. That's the Christ-like thing to do. That couldn't be further from the truth. Jesus is talking about a revolutionary act here that turns the whole idea of hierarchy on its head. You are not better. All men, women created equal. There isn't this kind of weird social status here that is how, you know, humanity should be worked out. Amazingly, and we'll get to this in the second example, amazingly, there was a normality of injustice. Now, that isn't different to you know, the world that we live in now. There's a normality to our injustice, things that are acceptable to do. And Jesus brings out a second example, which is similar. Suing. Suing one another. Poor people weren't suing people. Underprivileged people weren't suing people. They didn't have the money to do that. They don't have the, the, the ability to do that. When Jesus says, if anyone sues someone else, he is talking about those that have the power and authority and privilege to do that. So he is speaking about that, and everyone listening would have known that. Suing was possible if you had money and influence. Those on the lowest income didn't do that. Those who have against, those who have, against those who have not. That is what Jesus is talking about. Again, you're getting this framework, this idea. What's this Christianity thing about? Is it just about kind of going to church and attending and maybe getting along to a small group and kind of, you know, behaving a little bit better and reading, you know, reading my Bible, praying? Is that the whole thing? No, completely different. Jesus, very early in this whole kind of Sermon on the Mount thing where he's kind of framing what this Christianity, as we would know, is going to be about. He is drawing attention to the fact that there is an equality in humanity that is not reflected in society. That was true then, and it's true now. And he wanted to draw attention to that. If anyone is suing, and this is brilliant, if anyone is suing, instead of, you know, they'll, they'll give you, uh, let me get this right around, you can offer the coat, but then you should offer the cloak. Now, reading into this, Exodus 22 lays out the Jewish law that the cloak so that's kind of the outer, bigger garment. Like if you're into, you know, Star Wars, then that's kind of like, you know, the Jedi cloak. Like, you know, the kind of like the bigger, more kind of, you know, needed uh, thing. And the, the coat would be the kind of inner layer, if you like. So the coat could be given, but the, no, the, the, the cloak, that's about survival. They, sometimes they would use that as like a blanket at nighttime. That's, you know, that's the kind of like, that's the thing that I need the most. That's about, you, if you take that, you've taken everything I have. So much so that Jewish law, Exodus 22, said that the cloak could not be taken in a lawsuit. So Jesus is talking direct to that. Now, we wouldn't know that, reading, you know, in our kind of 21st century, you know, Western civilization. We wouldn't know that. But his listeners would have known. Hang on a second. Offer the cloak? The expensive layer, so considered, so crucial to survival that it was against Jewish law for it to be taken. They can take the coat, but for the cloak to be handed over would be too far. For you to hand your cloak over in a lawsuit 
right there, everybody in that place would be like, whoa. You, that, that's, it's gone too, this has gone too far. You can't, that's against the law. Like you're, not, you're, t- you're stripping them of everything. And the creditor, the person suing, would have to confront the idea that as much as the normality of the injustice, which was that you could take from the underprivileged, that you could sue them and take their coats, suddenly, under a bright spotlight, Jesus is saying, why don't you draw to attention the normality of the injustice that they've become a part of? Shaming those who were considered less was so acceptable. That isn't different now in our world. The underprivileged, those that don't have... Those that you know, don't have a home or don't have a job or don't have a, you know, a standing or a status in society. Shaming those people and whatever, whether it's our prejudiced actions or our prejudice, you know, the way that we go about things or the way that we treat them or the way that we look at them. It's so normal. That injustice is so normal. But Jesus' suggestion switched that emphasis. He's drawing people to a non-violent, attention-grabbing spotlight. This should not be normal. The underprivileged are humanity. The privileged are humanity. The rich are humanity. The poor are humanity. Confronting the injustice of humanity, creating hierarchy and causing suffering. Jesus here, again, what's he about? You know, the, the kind of like, how is he a revolution? Like, he, you know, he's a good guy and did some amazing things, but how did he turn the, the thinking of the world on its head? Right here, challenging the harmful inequality that had been allowed to become normal. If the coat was a symbol of the normality of the injustice, if the inner layer that you were allowed to take, by law, you're allowed to strip the underprivileged of the very few things they had you were allowed to in a, in a lawsuit. Offering the cloak shamed that practice. Offering the cloak shone a spotlight on that. It brought attention to that. This is not okay. What Jesus was doing here is far more than maybe I've read it to be before. He was pointing towards a new order. He was introducing a new idea. Don't accept this. Don't let power and privilege and authority and wealth normalize this inequality, this hierarchy of if you have, then you're good. If you have, you can take. If you have, you're looked after. If you have status or power or privilege or riches, then you're good. And it's okay to exploit those that don't. Jesus says, they ask for the coat, fine, you offer the cloak. And let everybody see that this is not okay. Thirdly, lastly, soldiers were allowed to make civilians to carry their packs for a, while, for a mile. So in, in law, the Roman soldiers were allowed to, if they're feeling a bit knackered, feeling a bit tired, whatever, they would literally be allowed to, by law, call someone over and say, carry my pack for a mile. I, I'm allowed to do that. And you can imagine that, you know, just get someone to carry it for a mile and someone else to carry it for a mile. And they were allowed to do that. And again, Jesus shining the light on this. He brings up these three examples so precisely. He's not just making stuff up, the kind of making random points. This was legalized superiority of the powerful and authoritative. Authoritative. It was, it was legalized. It was allowed to happen. Discrimination and prejudice because of who you are and what you look like and how much money you don't have. 
People just kind of like trying to make their way, maybe on their way to work or not working or homeless or, you know, ill or sick or whatever it might be. A Roman soldier was legally allowed to exploit you. So Jesus, and this is really interesting, Jesus brings about this idea. If they ask you to go a mile, go two, go the extra mile. His whole thinking here, to choose to go the extra mile, draws us into an issue, which is where we'll finish this morning. Draws us into an issue. Who you believe you are and who you believe other people to be. Another way of saying it, a kind of Bible way of saying it, a church way of saying it, this whole idea of identity. Jesus suggests, you think you are forcing me to do this. You think I have no choice. You think that you know, because of who you are and because of who I am, I have nothing but to respond to the status or the power or the riches or the wealth or whatever it is that you have. And I'm telling you, by saying I'll go the second mile, I am reminding myself and you and anyone else that's watching that I am not who you say I am. My identity is clarified by something or someone completely different to you. Now, you may see me as someone that just has to do that. But I'm reminding myself and I'm living out a reality of who I believe I am. It's not a commentary on conflict or disputes, as maybe some have read it to be. You kind of read these passages like this. How how do you deal with it when you're you're kind of victimized or when you're prejudiced against or when you're discriminated against? Jesus is going bigger than that. That isn't a commentary of what what this is about. That's so short of what Jesus is talking about. This is about how you view humanity. Jesus is talking about a big subject. And there's two massive elements to that which we kind of get to here. Who am I and who are they? Or in a less non-personal way, who am I and who are you? Who do I believe I am? Who do I, how, what is my value? What am I worth? And then secondly and potentially more importantly... But one leads to the other, in fairness. But that whole idea of being secure in who I believe I am then leads me to the idea of who do I believe you are? What value do you have? What worth do you have? How important is that? How important is that you know that? The underprivileged, those that don't have wealth, those that have been beaten down by society, those that don't have a home or don't have a job, what do I think they're worth? What value do they hold? And am I willing to be someone... That doesn't just kind of like get hit around and just kind of, you know, gets knocked about by system, but says, no, hang on. There is a system that is better than just reacting from the identity that something or someone has given me. The the identity of someone that persecutes me or sues me or slaps me or bears down on me or tells me to carry their pack for an extra mile and I'm meant to. What if I'm not who they say I am? Eye for an eye is not going to work. Our idea, our idea of even and fair is often corrupted, corrupted by our own fear, corrupted by our own self-esteem or insecurity or whatever it might be. And Jesus kind of draws that to it. If you haven't worked that out yet, then that might be something you want to camp out on. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth isn't going to work. That person does that to you, therefore you need to do something in kind or do something to even up or do something to make it fair. Jesus says, hey, that isn't going to work. That isn't going to work because that's going to distort your whole idea of what you think, one, of yourself, and secondly, of the rest of humanity. Not just the people you love, as as, as we'll get to, Jem will talk about it, but anybody can kind of like, oh yeah, I see inequality in the people I love. 
talking about how you view the, the homeless person that you walk past, how you view you know, those that aren't like you, those of you that have less money than you or have less influence than you and all that kind of stuff. We don't want eye for an eye here. We need grace for my mess, love in my brokenness. Jesus injects this idea, which we looked at last week, and it continues here in the Sermon on the Mount. There's themes that run through this whole thing. Jesus is not just going, as you might read, by the way, the Bible kind of chops it up into sections. He's not like, oh, I'll do a bit on murder, and then I'll do a bit on adultery, and then I'll do a bit on divorce. There is a theme running all the way through this, and it comes up again here. Hey, all fall short. All fall short. But God is good. All fall short, but God has made it, made it good undeservedly, you might not be here yet, I've, I've kind of had too much life experience to ignore to know that this isn't true, undeservedly, I am saved and I'm rescued and I'm healed or being healed and I'm being restored by what Jesus has done. Nothing to do with my upbringing or my income level or my skin colour or my gender, none of those things have anything to do with what Jesus has done for me. I had to provide info for this grant application a few years ago, and uh, we, we, I think it was a, a lottery grant, and we um, kind of like typically um, procrastinate, procrastinate, and the deadline came up, and Paul was away, and Paul had kind of processed the uh, application. So Paul was away, so he was like, can you just get hold of the grant application people and kind of just confirm some details and kind of get it uh, processed through? So Paul had done all that, and so he'd done all the previous calls and all the rest of it, so I thought, fair enough, you know, I can get that done. And uh, you know, I'm not the most confident on the phone, certainly wasn't back then, and so I was kind of a little bit nervous about it, and I'm not really a rule breaker. And so I'm uh, not a natural rule breaker. So when they answered and said, you know, just I read out the reference number, and they said, oh, hi, Paul, how's it going? I was like, oh, my word. And I like split second, split second decision to make. What do I do here? Do I potentially put the grant at risk by saying, oh, this isn't Paul. This is someone completely different who hasn't spoken to you before. And I'm thinking, I can't do that because I can't risk the grant. So I think, right, all I could think is, uh, they need to think I'm Paul. So I, I just thought, right, fine. Let's put on a voice. Let's, uh, let's be, let's... <laughs> Let's just, let's, as if Paul's voice is massively different. This is absolutely true. Standing outside the back door uh, of hope here, I literally thought to myself, sound older, more abrupt, and cocky. Uh, <laughs> and, and that's why I went with it. And honestly, this is so embarrassing, but honestly, I just went, hi, this is Paul. <laughs> he doesn't have a particularly deeper voice, but it just, all I thought was, they can't know it's me which doesn't make any sense because they'd never spoken to me before. But that's kind of the, the mindset I went into. And so I just, I, I, I just did this weird voice where I kind of, the call went on way longer than I thought it would. And it just got a little bit like weird where I'd been kind of speaking like this for a little while. As if he was some kind of voiceover artist for Hollywood films. Uh, and then it, it was all going really well, in fairness, until I got probably a little bit too comfortable being Paul. Uh, and, and, and kind of got into the voice a little bit and bit into the character. And at, near the end of the call, I can't remember what it was, they asked me something detailed, and I referred to my brother Paul. And there was this moment of silence. And then I tried to correct myself. I went, no, yeah, I'm, my brother Adam, I'm Paul. <laughs> it just, have you ever been in a situation like that where you're just stuck? You're like, oh, no. And that, you're just hoping that they just kind of like brush over it. And, and the, the, the woman on the other end of the phone went, I'm sorry, who, who is this? And I was like, oh no, this is bad. So now I'm like, you know, do I carry on with the voice? Because she's been taken in by the voice for a while. And she obviously has kind of associated the voice with Paul and blah, blah, blah. And it was so awkward. And anyway, in the end, you know, kind of, I confessed, basically, uh, that a 10-minute call had been going on where I'd been pretending to be 
uh, Paul, and in fact, it was, it was completely wrong, and, and she was like, sorry, so you're not Paul? I was like, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not who you think I am. I'm, in fact, his brother. Is that okay? Uh, and, and, and I don't think we got the grant, if I'm honest. But... <laughs> Two things to finish with from the idea of what Jesus is saying here. First one, and these are massively important, and this goes absolutely in line with, if you've only ever remembered the commandments that Jesus kind of said, he kind of reduced everything down to two commandments, and this is effectively it. First one, know who God is, therefore I am not who you say I am. I am not who you say I am. This is probably the hardest challenge of being a Christian, because there is influence and impact from everywhere to tell you who you are, what you're worth, what value you have. And to be brave enough to see clearly that you aren't who you say I am. You aren't who you think I am. You aren't who you are making me feel like I should be. But my identity, my strength of character, what I believe I'm worth is set by something outside of anything I've ever done. You don't have the power to tell me who I am and who I should be. That's what Jesus is talking about here. With the master's slap, with the suing, the lawsuit situation, or the soldier saying, carry my pack another mile. Jesus is saying, I want you to know that you are not who they say you are. You don't have the power to tell me who I am and who I should be. And here's a key thing for us in conflict, for us who fall out with people or for us who have difficult situations going on or family stuff going on where there's, you don't know a resolution, you don't know what you should do, you don't know what they're due because of the thing that they did or the breaking of trust or the disappointment or the hurt or the abuse. Here's the thing. I don't have to react to claw back something to gain revenge to even the score. Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. It might be tempting. It might be what we think we should do. It might be all we've ever done. But Jesus has a new idea. That you are free. That you are free to be who God has saved you to be. That you are free to forgive where an eye for an eye wouldn't let you. You are free You are released to let go, to give grace, where old old standards wouldn't let you do that. Where self-preservation wouldn't let you do that. Where fear or insecurity wouldn't let you do that. Your identity, who God has made you and saved you to be, releases you from an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. I don't have to react with eyes of revenge. I don't have to react or I don't have to just let you, you know, kind of slap me about. I don't have to let you take me to court. I don't have to let you make me do something that you think my identity should make me do. I am saved by the blood of Jesus and I'm freed to be the person that you made me to be. And so how I react is down to that identity Not the identity that that pain or that suffering or that abuse or that status in society has led me to believe. I am not whose I am. Paul, do you want to come? Secondly and lastly, and and honestly, this isn't kind of brush away. This is exactly where Jesus was heading. This reframing of humanity. I am not who I say I am, nor are they. And they could be many, many different people. 
those on the fringes of society, those who are not accepted either by you or by the friendship group or the family or you know, the society that you live in, those that don't have as opposed to what you do have, those that have, have you know, low income or a lack of status or a lack of privilege or a lack of a home or a lack of you know, income, whatever it might be. They are not what the world says they are. Some assume a passivity from what Jesus was saying here. If you get slapped, get slapped again. If you get sued, you know, just let them take everything. If you get kind of like, you know, beaten up and told to do something, just, you know, let them take advantage of you. That is not what Jesus was talking about. That might be our fear-led way, but we're made for more. We are made for more. And I encourage all of you that have some understanding of what it is to know Jesus to remind yourself this morning that that is not what you were made for. What Jesus was doing was something completely different. Turning the cheek, offering the cloak, going the extra mile. That to win or to be superior or self-protect or let others put you down for, for gain is something that Jesus wasn't actually allowing. He wasn't okay with. He doesn't care how normalized it has become. From the unchanging value, which is why one is important for two, from the unchanging value that you know God has given you, from the identity that you know Jesus has given you, step in and speak up, give more money, offer more time, challenge the harmful, unequal norm. What our society says is okay, but those that have can do that to those that have not. That those that are privileged can speak of those or like that to those that are underprivileged. Jesus, that's not okay. It's not okay. Offer the cloak. Shame that. Make that not normal. We're all God's children. I am, therefore she is, therefore he is. Who they are is set by what God says, not by where life has landed them. You think about some of the people in your world, in your society that are looked down upon. Maybe you look down upon them, maybe others look down upon them. Maybe they've had a rough break, maybe they did it to themselves. Maybe they can't you know, seem to find their feet, maybe they've just, they were born into a situation where they couldn't do anything about it and there they are, struggling and suffering with the stuff that they're up against and the prejudice against them and the discrimination against them. Jesus is saying... Just remember, remember who you are, but don't just sit in here and bask in the glory of who you are from the strength of that value. Assign that value to everyone else. There is a beauty to humanity that Jesus is drawing us to protect and uphold. Not just the important or the acceptable or those we like or those we connect with. This is not okay. This normal. This, oh, it's okay to put down, have this prejudice, have this discrimination, have this view of certain groups or whatever it might be. It needs to be exposed and challenged and changed. That's Jesus' message in these verses. Know who you are. Know who they are. Do something about it.